Welcome to Leading Lights. You're about to hear a message from Lighthouse Church in Jersey. Thank you. Good morning. Those have already heard me share my testimony on Friday night. Um, I've been asked to do it again, so I'm sorry you're going to hear a, a repeat. Some of you are also at St. Paul's last night, so I hope you don't mind hearing it two or three times. The testimony has also been put into book and DVD. They're on the back table. They're one pound, so you're welcome to take them for a pound. You can copy them. There's no copyright. You can actually put it into your Kindle, I think, for a pound also, so on Amazon. Scripture that I failed to read was found in 1 Corinthians chapter 15, in verse 55. O death, where is your victory? O death, where is your sting? The sting of death is sin, and the power of sin is the law. But thanks be to God who gives us the victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. How many of you know that you're going to die? Half of you. <laughs> now the Bible does talk about death. Now many people are, are frightened of words like cancer and heart attacks and cholesterol and all the other things that go on. So physical death isn't the issue that the Bible's talking about because all people will die. But there is a sting. Now, this sting has a lethal dose to it. It says the sting of death is sin. How many have got sin? How many even know what that is anymore? <laughs> so if you know the problem, it's really good to know what the Bible offers as a solution for the sting of death, isn't it? So we found in 1 John 1, 5, it talks about God being light. And in verse 7, it says, if we have fellowship with one another, the blood of Jesus Christ, his son, cleanses us from all sin. If we say we have no sin, we are deceiving ourselves and the truth is not in us. But if we confess our sins, God is faithful and righteous to forgive us all our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. How many know that's good news? <laughs> Three of you think that's good news? Now, I was stung by the deadliest creature known to man, a box jellyfish. So there was a sting to it, and it killed me. But what's incredible is that there is power over sin and death through the blood of Jesus. And nothing but the blood of Jesus can wash away our sin. Not being a good person, not helping old ladies across the street, putting money on the Red Cross, and so on and so on. How many have done all those things? How many are not sure about them? Good works do not make us to heaven. Being a nice person doesn't make it, make it to heaven. Only through repentance and the power of the cross of Christ and his shed blood on Calvary. Behold the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. Many people tell us that when a speaker speaks, they hear the beginning and the end. So I'm giving you the beginning and the end right now. Christ and Christ alone is my experience. He has. Washed away all my sins. He has cleansed me from all filth, all evil, all unrighteousness. And he has come and given me the free gift of eternal life. 
And this is the greatest news. If you hear nothing of what I share, know that Jesus loves you. And his love was so great, he was willing to die for you. But thank God, death could not hold him down. He is risen. And he is risen. And when Christ comes into you, Christ in us the hope of glory, the total man has changed. It's no longer I that live, but Christ that lives in me. And the same Spirit that rose Jesus from the dead, the same Holy Spirit dwells with us. We have an assurance that when we die, our spirit will be absent from the body, present with the Lord. Death swallowed up for all time. Sin removed on Calvary. Eternal life. Amen. Amen. So Lord, we pray that you would touch hearts that are truly seeking you today. Lord, many of us have walked in darkness. We've walked in gross sin, confused, not knowing the way. But we thank you that, Jesus, you are the way. You are the truth. And you are the life. There's no way under the Father but by you. So we lift our hearts and our faces to you in absolute adoration and say thank you for saving me. Thank you, Jesus for saving me. Help me to speak, Lord. Help people to see past the testimony and see the power of a loving Savior. I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Um, as we've just been told by Greg, a movie was made last year. It's a Hollywood movie um, done with Clint Eastwood's son, Scott Eastwood, who played me. And my mother was played by um, a wonderful woman from Charlie's Angels, Cheryl Ladd, who is a born-again Christian and has loved Christ for over 20-plus years, maybe 30 years now, and um, really captivates the power of a praying mother. Do you realize the only reason why we're here is that someone loved us enough to pray? We're only here because someone got on their knees and call out to God and say, God, help my loved one. Help my friend find you. And my mother was the only real believer in the family. How many know you can go to church and still not believe? How many can play church and do the stand up, sit down and kneel, stare at the stained glass windows? I had done all this stuff, but when Christ came into my heart, suddenly the reality of a Savior came to, to, to pass. I'm going to get you to see, a, it's, I think it's a three-minute um, movie trailer. It's called The Perfect Wave. Unfortunately, they don't, they don't sell it for one pound. <laughs> I don't make a cent off them or the DVDs or the books. In 33 years, I haven't taken a cent from anything. Jesus said, freely receive, freely give. I'm obviously not an American. <laughs> if I did, I'd be a multimillionaire. But thank God you don't store it down here. You can't take it with you. And right now you won't if you're taking anything with you. <laughs> Anyhow, let's watch the trailer. They say the best surfer in the world is having the most fun. It's not about competition. It's simply about the moment. When you feel it, you've come the closest you can get to touching eternity. Mom, if I don't do this now, I never will. Let your heart skip a beat. Don't hold on so tight. Leaving home. My mom had a premonition something might happen to me on this trip. And my dad, well, 
He just wants me to get ahead in life. And me? Well, I just want to get out there and discover freedom. I just left home and I'm doing it. The whole endless summer thing. Surfing. In a place like this, it's easy to get lost in the moment. A beautiful culture, new and exotic, awakening the senses in the whole body. Annabelle. Yeah. That chick, isn't it? I think I'm falling in love with her. Tell me about this perfect wave. It's almost as if time stands still. I may never leave this beautiful island. At least not in this body. Ian's in trouble. I'm dying here. I'm dying. My life has changed forever. Let me tell you what happened to me. How many watched all of Clint Eastwood's movies? <laughs> Make my day. When you see his son, Scott, the family resemblance is quite scary, actually. And... Um, he said to me, Ian, your life reflected me. I just haven't found God yet. But I'm on that journey and I'm searching. And so Cheryl Ladd had great impact in speaking into him. His life and Diane Vickers, who had been in The X Factor, actually became a Christian on the movie, set, on the movie site. And she, she dates one of the Burberry models in London and wrote one of the songs that she gave freely to the movie. The guy that Star Wars, all the, all the music tracked, also did it for free, and Cheryl Ladd asked me if I was getting money, I said no, so she did her acting for free. So thank God there's some nice people left on the planet. It's a wonder some days. Um, I was just in LA last week, and we had 19, uh, 2007 Miss USA share in front of us before we spoke, and she would got saved, the Milan model and someone from Hollywood. So three supermodels, and, and these women have said our lives have been trashed with cocaine, and all forms of sexual perversion, and thank God Jesus came in and saved them. When you hear people's testimonies, it can touch your heart. And you thank God, how many have got a testimony? We're talking, it's changed you. If you haven't, trust me, it can happen. If you truly seek Him, God can get a hold of you. And it can turn you around from complete deception and complete filth back into the presence of God. So I hope that somehow I might get you closer to it. <laughs> Some of you are not sure. I was raised in, in New Zealand and it's quite good seeing the English beat the Aussies yesterday, but anyhow, <laughs> we don't mind if they beat them. South Africans will beat them. Everyone can beat them. No, no. So anyhow, I'm going to show you some PowerPoint photographs. The first one is my wife. My wife and I have been married 26 years. One wife, how many know that's enough? <laughs> We have three beautiful children. My wife is from Vancouver, Canada, but born in Texas, you all. We have three kids, Lisa, the eldest, uh, Michael, and then Sarah. 
And all three of them um, have found faith in Christ even as a young age. How many would like to have your kids following the Lord as kids and never turn away from it and never mess themselves up? How many hope you don't, they don't do what you did? It's called dumb and dumber, isn't it? But how many know you can't stop your kids going off track? I'm 60 next year, and I tell you what, you just pray your kids don't get it, man. That they do not leave God. Born and bred in New Zealand, Lord of the Rings country, heaven on earth. The world used to look like this once. <laughs> you can see glimmers of it as you travel the world. Little bits of paradise before man completely destroyed it. Beautiful North Island mountains, and we have Alps in the South Island. Crystal clear waterfalls with no one asking money for parking or to go and see them. They're all free. <laughs> Beaches like this. Cathedral Cove. How many know that God does a lot better job than man? Incredible, uh, untouched um, coastline, coves, offshore islands, dolphins, fish in the harbour, teeming with fish, scallops, oysters, cockles, flounder, and lobster just literally off the beach. We call them crayfish or crays. How'd you like to have one of those for dinner tonight? <laughs> Uh, walked along the beach yesterday, I could see some of the crabs. Looks like you've got nice crabs there too. So then I, I was 24 years of age and I decided to surf all around the world. My heart passion was rugby, but my, my outdoor pursuit was diving and surfing and anything to do with the ocean. My mother thought I had fish blood in me. So at the age of 24, have you changed much? At the age of 24, I decided to travel the world. I spent two years surfing around the world from Australia, Indonesia, Sri Lanka, uh, Mauritius, Reunion, South Africa, and I just traveled the world. After two years of traveling, my brother wrote to me from Fremantle, from Australia, and asked me to come back to New Zealand. So I decided to fly back via Reunion Island and Mauritius, which I lived on the year before in Mauritius, surfing there, waiting for the South African airline to... That's not my brother, but it's <laughs> close family resemblance. So here we are, I'm with my Rastafarian brothers back in Mauritius, night diving, surfing. The whole world is... I'm just thinking about the wedding. And my friend asked me to go night diving again. So we go out to a place called Le Le Mans, a place called Rivière Noire. We go diving. As we drop into the ocean, we start looking for what we normally do, what you call cref. Crabs, crayfish, lobster, whatever you call them, and we were catching them. And next minute, I appeared in front of me an unusual looking jellyfish, bell shaped, cube shaped, finger like tentacles. Unbeknown to me, this is what the Australians call a box jellyfish, a marine stinger, or a sea wasp. Have you heard of it? The neurotoxin is so, so serious that one sting will literally, if you're hit in the throat, can kill you in three or four minutes. They say it's a hundred times more toxic than a cobra. Fortunately that night I put Vaseline petroleum jelly because I was getting eaten by sea lice across my forearms where my wetsuit stopped, across my face. This is most likely the saving that gave me a bit more time than the average person. Because I was hit by five adult box jellyfish. The impact was like thousands of volts of electricity. By the time I got into the fishing boat, my arm was literally up like Popeye, like a balloon, 
the fishermen turn white. When you see black men turn white, <laughs> not good. And they said, you, pardon, c'est fini, allez, allez, vite, cut from hospital. My limited French was un petit peu, but I knew enough to know one would kill me. I'd been hit by five. As the young boy took me to shore, I asked the other divers to come with me, but there was no outboard motor, so unfortunately we left two adult divers on the reef. Fatal mistake. The child got me to Riviera Noir to the shore. I stood up and collapsed. The poison, which is a neurotoxin, had taken out half of my body. The fisherman had told me to urinate on my arm, and I knew as a lifeguard that vinegar had been used in Australia, and that urine must be a form of bush medicine. It actually, what it does, if there's tentacles attached to the skin, it causes the tentacles to let go so no more neurotoxin is pumped in. It does not nullify the poison, it just causes the tentacles to let go. Do you understand? Fortunately, that film of Vaseline may have helped me significantly, but I could feel this poison hitting my kidneys. My leg was already gone within 10, well, 8, 10 minutes. I was already gone down one side. I could feel it hit my lymph glands. I could hardly breathe in my right lung. My arm felt like someone had a searing branding iron burning into the flesh. Does that give you some idea? The, the young boy then panicked. He saw me dying in front of him. And in French, he's going, mon frère, sur la plage, Stephanie. He's talking about the other divers on the reef. I'm going, no, ambulance, gendarme, telephone. Sound French to you? <laughs> Did to me. Tried that in Paris and he just kept walking. <laughs> Thought that was very rude, actually. I was at least trying to speak their language. So here I am, I'm trying to speak Creole French. The boy is frightened that his other divers will be killed. They have four wetsuits on. How many have been in the tropics and dived and the water even at night is warm? For the fishermen, the water was cold. They had full wetsuits, rubber hoods and booties. For me, the water was hot in the tropics. So I had what you call a short sleeve vest. The only reason why I wore a wetsuit wasn't for the cold, but you had staghorn coral, fire coral, and if you get a coral cut in the tropics, the coral can grow inside your flesh. You do not want coral poisoning, trust me. It is a lethal, terrible, painful experience. They have to sometimes surgically remove it. So I was frightened that I'd get coral cuts, though I, so I wore a wetsuit to protect myself from the reef. I'm now lying on a beach, the young boys run back to the fishing boat, and is now poling back out to rescue two men who are completely safe. I'm now lying on a beach on the edge of the road, slipping into what's called a coma. This thing kills so quickly that people, even a lifeguard who knew not to go to sleep, was right on the edge of death. As my eyes began to close, I heard an audible voice of a man speak to me. He said, son, if you close your eyes, you will never awake again. Startled by the man's voice, I turned in his direction to find there was no one there. How many know that's a bit weird? New Zealanders have institutions for people that hear invisible voices talking to them. They have a wonderful white jacket that buckles up from behind and a drug called Prozac. It helps you nullify that kind of experience. Well, I knew I wasn't a nutter, but I was what you call an atheist. I have no idea that God speaks to atheists. <laughs> it says he goes looking for the lost sheep. I was what you call in 1982 a black sheep. <laughs> Been there and done that? Anyone out there? What a holy bunch of lying sinners we got today. <laughs> you can polish a little halo later. If Jesus comes to save sinners, it might figure out if you're one, wouldn't it? 
Jersey. <laughs> Step back in time. Here I am, dying on a beach. I've got someone I don't believe in talking to me. How many know it's amazing that God goes looking for us even when we're sinners? He goes looking for the lost sheep, even though they don't know they're lost. That still hits me. He loves sinners. He hates their sin. He loves the person. He loves the person. He knows why they're so messed up. He knows why they've got involved in all these things. He knows everything about it. I stood up realizing I just about died. Not knowing who the voice was, I staggered down the road looking for help. I found three Tamils, East Indian men. English had brought them in to work in the sugarcane fields. They did in Fiji, South Africa, to work the sugarcane. These Indian men saw me staggering towards them. They think I'm a drunk tourist. I explained that I'm not drunk. I've been hit by five Ombisab jellyfish. They see the arm. They said, how can we help you? I said, Kaptramal Hospital. They said, how much money will you pay us? Some people want to make money even as you're dying. I said, 50, 100 US. They said, we take you. Let me see your money. I said, I don't have the money on me right now. All three of them walk away. Now, there's a lot of animosity and hatred in this part of the world, and I was on the receiving end of racial hatred. As I watched these men walk away, I understood why they could walk away from me. You understand? As they're walking away, I heard this voice speak to me again. He said, son, are you willing to beg for your life? I said, beg for your life? That's a brilliant idea. I hadn't thought of it. I turned around to see where this man was, again, the invisible man. I thought, I'm guarantee Indians have never seen white men beg here. What have I got to lose? Nothing. So I fell to my knees, bowed my head, lifted my paralyzed hand and begged for my life. Two of them kept walking. Third one, shaken by this, stopped. I said, I will seriously die in front of you. I have a large amount of money. Help me. Help me, please, or I'll die in front of you. To my amazement, this kid walked towards me. Put me into his taxi. We began racing towards the hospital. Parkway there, he said, what's your hotel room number, white man? Where you stay? Smart taxi driver. Drop him at the hospital, should have a hotel, huh? I said, I don't stay in a hotel, I'm a surfie. I travel around the world. I live in a bungalow in Tamarin Bay. He heard the word Tamarin Bay, he said, oh, you stay in the Tamarin Bay Hotel? I said, no. He said, you not pay me. How come you not pay me? You lie to me. You're tourists. Why, why, why are you not giving me your room number? I said, I don't stay in a hotel. How many, when you talk to people and they can't hear you, you just give up? How many got people that no matter what you say, they're not going to listen to you? How many wives find that quite often? <laughs> Anyhow, <laughs> here I am, I'm dying. I'm trying to communicate with a driver who just cannot relate to a, a Westerner not being in a hotel. He takes me to the nearest tourist hotel and said, the tourists look after you, get out. He's so irate, I try and get out because I live in the village. As I try and move, to my horror, the paralysis has now moved into my left leg. Both legs are totally and absolutely numb. I said, my legs are gone, I can't walk. He opened the door, took my safety belt off and pushed me straight out of the cab. I was completely unprepared for it. As a New Zealander who played a lot of rugby, had my right hand been working, I'd have grabbed him and brought me with him and my left hand would have been moving quite quickly too. Christians may turn the other cheek. Non-Christians might beat you. Anyhow, I hit the ground 
As I hit the ground, I saw my ankles were caught in the door sill. He looked over, picked my ankles up, chucked them out, slammed the door and drove off. I thought, what kind of sick human being would do that to someone else for 50, 100 miserable bucks? I thought, I'm not afraid to die. If your number's up, do yourself a favour, die here. As I'm dying there, suddenly one of the security guards wanders out, seeing the taxi, shines his torchlight around, finds me in a crumpled heap. I hear the voice of one of the fishermen, because the light, I can't see him. He said, kiss a fair, Ian, what happened? It's Danielle, one of the night divers, one of the fishermen, my drinking buddy. How many got a drinking buddy? How many found your drinking buddy crawling around the car park legless on... So churched in here. Anyhow, so here I am, I'm dead, almost. My friend's thinking I'm drunk or stoned or something. He sees my blistered arm. Without me saying a word, he goes, on bizarre, the French word for the box jellyfish. I said, we said, Pabon, Saphony Ian. You dive with Simon tonight. I said, we said, Pabon, Pabon, Saphony. Now, when you see a diver who has no idea what has happened but one look at your arm, he's diagnosed it and he's telling you exactly the same thing the other divers are telling you. How many know you're in real trouble? Now, I'm paralyzed. He carries me in his arms back into the hotel grounds. Tourists are all in bed but the owners are playing mahjong, the Chinese. The Chinese look at me and said, are you drunk? I said, no, my arm had been hit by sank on visab jellyfish. One of them stands up and said, oh, stupid boy. How come you put the needle in the arm? Old man take opium with pipe, huh? Why, 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 why you do that, you stupid white boy? How many have heard of chasing the dragon? He thinks the marks must be from heroin, from needles. I'm explaining to him it's not, but the Chinese don't dive. They walk around with umbrellas trying to stay white. Some put white powder on face to look like me. I go, get burnt, look like lobster. They charge a hundred bucks a night for us to come and lie on the beach and look like lobster, and they can't believe it because they make more money off tourists. <laughs> Anyhow, whatever. How many of you people are never happy with how they look? So here I am, I am nearly dead. I've got the Chinese owners thinking I'm on heroin. And they won't help me. Next minute my body begins to shake violently. My whole body goes into the death rattles. The men try and physically restrain me, I'm throwing them off. I then stop shaking and go icy cold. I said, I'm freezing. I'm freezing to death. Can you please get blankets? They ran into the hotel, ripped blankets off the bed, wrapped me up. The old Chinese owner comes back with a glass of milk, thinking I've ingested a toxin, pours milk down my throat. I said, mate, I don't need milk. I need anti-serum. It's, it's in my blood. It's not in my stomach. Can you take me in your car? His Mercedes-Benz was in the car park. He looked at it. He said, oh, my car? No, 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 no. Cannot take my car. How come you're so worried? Wait, wait for ambulance for you. Don't worry. How many men hate when another man touches them? How many of that's, in, that's inviting something? And when he had the audacity to say he wouldn't help me, how many know that could get you a little bit upset? Unbeknown to me, the world view of the Chinese man was that if I died in his Mercedes Benz on way to the hospital, very bad luck for family. How many know there's a clash of viewpoints going on here? So I'm about to clash into his face with my fist. How dare you not help me, a dying man? 
So I tried to hit him, but my right arm wouldn't move. Paralyzed. I was great, can't even hit the turkey. So I tried my left hand, a little bit of strength. I thought, well, I'm not a southpaw, but I could grab his shirt, rip him to my forehead and give him a headbutt. Are you always so quiet here in Jersey? Just very pensive, are you? I'm still getting used to it. I've had three meetings here. I'm still... I'm about to drop him into my skull, teach him a lesson in humanity, what not to do with a dying man. And then I hear the voice a third time. It said, son, if you hit him, the toxin so close to your heart, the adrenal rush will kill you. Up in voice. I thought that's most likely true. If I whack him, it could hasten the death process and I could die in front of him. I thought, well, if I died, at least have the satisfaction knowing you've got no teeth because that had broken off in my skull. <laughs> or I thought I could control my anger, look away, and get him later. <laughs> and I thought, plan B. I turned to my right and thought, if I survive this, you're history, Jack. You better flip and hope I don't make it or rip your head off. How many know the quiet ones are more dangerous? <laughs> my family were farming or military. My grand grandfather was what they call an RSM. Anyone know what an RSM is? Regimental Sergeant Major Sir. <laughs> How would you like to have warrant officers as your uncles? How many know they don't bring the boys up softly? But they bring them to a point of control. How many heard of self-control? Well, I've been surfing for many years and I've also been picking up over 30,000 bales of hay on the farm. So I've never been in a gym in my life. But the muscle in the upper shoulder was a lot stronger than the average person thought. This wasn't from pumping steel and taking steroids. This was taken from hard physical labour. So I knew if I hit him, the upper body was so strong I could seriously smash his face. Do you understand that? How many even found that it slumps as you get older and the six pack becomes a keg? <laughs> and you can do the sumo bump, can't you? Now some of the women are laughing. My dear Lord, it took a while. So here I am, I'm dying. I'm about to whack this guy. I've now turned away considering I'll get him later. Next minute into the car park flies an ambulance. As this ambulance flies in, I realise my friend Danielle has run the hospital. He scoops me in his arms with another security guard carrying me into the ambulance. As they race towards the hospital, my, my eyes wide open, I start to see like a video clip of a small boy with snowy white hair. I then watch, I'm thinking, what on earth is this? My parents had a box brownie camera, so we saw very few photographs as us as children. Remember those days? So I was not someone who could recognize me from childhood, but then I'm looking, I'm going, oh my God, that's me. That's my life. Then I see vividly it's me, and I'm going, this happens before people die. I thought, am I going to die? I quickly checked my vital signs. I was a consultant. I'd done dairy science, veterinary science at university, so I had the ability to do my own prognosis. As I lay there as a consultant, I thought, oh my God, you are nearly dead. You're dehydrated, completely paralyzed, gone through the death rattles, necrosis is into your bone marrow. I may not even make it to the hospital. Oh, that if I die, is there life after death or is it just cessation? Is there's nothing there? Oh, that as an atheist and a Darwinist, I believe the worms get you or they, they jar, your jar of ashes, you're finished. There's no life after death. I oh, thought, but I'm a gambling atheist.
How many have ever been wrong before? How many have backed the wrong horse and wish you'd shot it and taken the saddle off it? Well, I lay there. Well, it was good enough for the Queen and her corgis. Why couldn't I back some? We used to have race horses on the farm and train them. The silly thing was that we'd put money on them. <laughs> that was the mistake. So here I am, as a gambler, my mind was going, you've been wrong before. I thought, what if you're wrong about life after death? How many know people can be very smart and intellectual until they die? They got a great opinion on it until they die. And they're staring down the barrel. I'm staring down the barrel, thought, well, I've heard everyone's opinions. Buddhism, Taoism, existentialism, humanism, Darwinism. Catholicism, and we've heard a few choices out there. It's a lucky dip, isn't it? Well, I lay there, well, that's a spiritual maze. I don't know what will happen when I die. I'm not afraid to die. I will soon find out. Next minute, right in front of me, appears my mother on her knees in a bedroom with her hands up, praying for all she's worth. How many have had your mother on her knees praying for you? <laughs> Well, my mother was the only Christian in the family. I'd try to convert her many times. <laughs> Thank God she never listened to me. I said, Mother's the Flat Earth Society. Science has disproved the reality of God. It's a delusion. She said, that might be right, son. You've had a high education. But one thing I do know, young man, there is a living God. And he loves you, son. And you are not like you were as a young boy. You, you're really, you need to be careful, young man. You're becoming very arrogant, becoming very proud. Well, I'm lying in an ambulance. My mother, on the other side of the world, has just been told by God that her son Ian is nearly dead. Pray for him now. My mother, distraught, falls to the ground, begins to pray. God somehow supernaturally translates my mother and her bedroom into an ambulance. She then begins to tell me, Ian, no matter how far from God you may be, no matter what you've done wrong in your life, if you call out to God from your heart, God will hear you. God will forgive you. Oh, forgive me? Too late. How many would think you had passed redemption? <laughs> it's a little bit too, you just, we kissed that thing goodbye. And I lay there saying, well, I've done so many things wrong. How could God forgive me? My mother said, pray, Ian. I thought, well, if there is a God, which one? Everyone thinks their God's the right one. Show me your face and I'll pray. No one appeared except my mother. I thought, well, mother is not God. How many know your mother's not God? <laughs> Act like it sometimes. I thought, but my mother prays to Jesus. Could mother be right? How many are not interested in what comes out of their mouth but how they live? Well, my mother lived a very beautiful, pure, compassionate, loving life. I thought, if there's anyone out in the sick world that loves God and knows him, this woman would be one I'd point to. I thought, if she prays to Jesus, not Gani, Shiva, Vishnu, Kalimara, Sahi Baba. Hopefully you don't even know who they are. <laughs> I laid and I thought, my mother prays to Christ and Christ alone. If, if it's Jesus, I'm in serious trouble. How many have heard a little bit about Christianity? Something about thou shalt not? How many busted about eight or nine of those ones? What a holy bunch of Jersey people we've got. How many know if you bust one of them, you're going down for all ten? How many know that doesn't seem fair? Well, then you might as well go the whole hog, mightn't you? Stop sitting on the fence. So I lay there thinking, well, I've done a bunch of stuff wrong. If there is a God and it's Christian and his name's Jesus, I'm in serious, serious trouble. Have you got a conscience left? Not sure. 
Well, I lay there and I thought, well, what would you pray that's Christian? I thought, well, there's one prayer my mother taught me as a little boy. The Lord's Prayer. How many of Jersey people can pray that one? How many prayed it like a parrot? Probably, probably want a cracker. Our Father, child in heaven, God bless the cat and dog and nana. Come on. Read the liturgy, stand up, sit down and kneel. How many have been christened? How many have been confirmed? How many have got all the certificates in the, in the drawer along with the stamp collection, the marbles and whatever else? Some of you guys could be the Barbie dolls. But anyhow, how many know that you can have all the certificates to prove you're a Christian, but you're not? Come on. How many know water sprinkled on your head as a baby wasn't your choice? And how many know many of us went to confirmation because that's what everyone did? I'm now lying here, a christened, confirmed Anglican sinner. Anyone know what those are? How many have got Catholic catechized sinners? Methodist? <laughs> Presbyterian? How many? The whole deal's out there, isn't it? Well, I'm lying here going, oh my gosh, pray. Okay, I'll pray the Lord's Prayer. It's Jesus taught it, what have I got to lose? As I tried to pray it, my mind went completely blank. Have you mind gone completely blank in exam rooms and some of you as you got older? <laughs> well, I'm lying here, not a syllable. My mother said, here, not from your head, pray from your heart. How many know there's a difference between your head and heart? You can repeat it, but not mean it. When I used to go to church when I got older, I used to kneel, but I was standing. I did it to please my grandmother. She was in the choir. I'm now dying, and I'm thinking, God, help me. If you hear me, if you send anything good in my heart, my mother said, pray from your heart. I said, help me to pray. Next minute, words appeared in front of me. Forgive us our trespasses and sins. Fascinating. The first thing that comes up is what? How many have got a bit of that? I said, well, how could God forgive me all my sins by saying these simple words? I thought, I've got no time to list them. I'm nearly dead. So I did what you call a shotgun prayer. Full choke, double barrels. I let Ruben said, God, these are the ones I know, but there's a heap of others I can't even list. Please forgive me. I feel like a hypocrite, having denied your existence and cursed you on a daily basis, but if you exist, please forgive me. Okay? Words as a pair of fresh words. Forgive those who trespassed and sinned against you. I thought, well, that's easy to do. By nature, I'm not a vindictive, angry man. I'm not a revengeful man by nature. I forgive them, no matter what people have done to me. As I made that wonderful statement from my incredibly pure heart, up comes the Indian taxi driver. I thought, what the is he doing here? How many have manifested somewhat and had your veins stick out of your neck? Just your husband, not you. Well, I'm looking at this going, what? And then the voice says, will you forgive this Indian taxi driver for doing what? Pushing you out of his car tonight and leaving you for dead. Huh, you must be flipping joking. Up comes, there was just an instant reaction, okay. Up comes the Chinese hotel owner. The voice said, will you forgive this man for not taking his car tonight and leaving you to die in the hotel? I oh, said, you must be. I was going to lay my hands upon them. But not like my vicar. <laughs> my son. <clears throat> Problem breathing, Jack. Do you ever think like this or is it just me? So I'm lying here talking to someone who I now realize could be God. How many would like to hear God speak to you? 
How many have prayed and seen up to there, nothing coming back down? How would you like God to talk to you about your sin, your unforgiveness, your bitterness, and your revenge towards fellow man? How many know that could be an obstacle? <laughs> Later I read Isaiah 59. It's not that God can't hear us, but our sins separate us from Him. So why does God worry about sin? He knows that if you will deal with that with humility, with forgiveness and repentance, He will then really begin to talk to you. Let's just deal with your problem first, son. Your anger, your revenge, your unforgiveness. Your... How many of you have been twisted up inside and have a few people on your hit list? How I many know it's easy to say, I forgive you, but that didn't really come from the heart. <laughs> Just keep everyone happy. Well, I lay there and I thought, if I'm talking to God, he's not going to be bluffed. I really have to choose to forgive these men, never touch them, never harm them, never seek them out all the days of my life. That's a little bit different from mumbling off, oh, yes, I forgive you. I then had the daunting realization, I'm talking to a person called God, and I'm dying. And if I didn't forgive, I'd get no more of the prayer. It's called Catch-22. I lay there and said, God, if you can forgive me, which would be an absolute miracle, I forgive these men, I'll never touch them, I'll never lay my hands upon them. Instantly their faces disappeared. <laughs> Next words came up, Thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. What does that mean? I thought, Thy will must be God's will done on earth as it is in heaven. I thought to date it's been Ian's will done, my will, on earth. It's got mostly nothing to do with what they're doing up in heaven. Would that be your lifestyle to date? Is there a discrepancy or disparity between the two kingdoms? How many remember Frank Sinatra? Remember he sang a song, didn't he? I did it. How many know doing it your way is slightly different from doing it God's way? <laughs> Who needs to be in the driving seat? You. How many have had a few wrecks? How many have had a few crash landings? Seven of you. Well, my life had been pretty trashed at different times. Pulled myself together again. I'm lying there going, if I'm going to pray this, I'm going to have to admit I'm wrong. How many know men, it's very hard for them to admit they're wrong? How many men know they're always right? <laughs> So I lay there, I thought, well, my gosh, if I'm wrong here and I have to surrender my life to the Lordship of Christ, that means I'm going to have to follow this through. I lay there and said, God, I humble myself. I surrender my life to you. I need an absolute miracle. If you help me through this experience, I will follow you all the days of my life. Next minute, the entire prayer appeared. As I prayed it for the first time, I suddenly knew what it meant. Having prayed countless thousands of times before, as an Anglican, and my father was Presbyterian, so I got both sides of the coin, <laughs> I now suddenly knew what that meant. The peace of God entered my heart and has not left me in 33 years. I had no idea the Bible says we make peace with God the Father through Christ the Son. That this prayer that Jesus taught his disciple is the greatest salvation prayer on the planet. It's called humility, forgiveness of sins, repentance, forgiving others. I, I lay there and I thought, I wonder why we've turned into such a religious ritual and our hearts a million miles away from God. I'd never read a Bible. I found out later that God calls hypocrites men who honour them with their lips, but their hearts are far from Him. I thought, I wonder how many men just like me in their dying moments give their life to Jesus. I thought, what a time to find out that He's real. 
So don't you ever judge anybody. You have no idea what the evilest man will do in his dying seconds. You'd be surprised how many mothers are praying for these kids that are in prison. You might be shocked. Who actually loves them and knows what they were like as little kids? There might be a hundred people that hate them and want them dead. You know who God's going to listen to? The one person who loves them. You can love the most evil person, I'm telling you. I've seen in some of the most maximum security prisons men weeping like little children as suddenly God comes into their heart and saves them. Serial killers, rapists, stuff that they, they won't even kill themselves. They don't want to live with what they've done. And I've seen them kneel down and weep as Christ comes in and forgives them. I felt like crying, but I'd been taught only children cry, not men. I'd controlled my emotions for many, many years. My parents were, and my grandparents were preparing me for potential war, military, hardening the boys up. No emotion. Shut it down. And we know that boarding schools can do that too. So I'm lying here dying in an ambulance. I've just got saved. I don't even know what the word salvation means because I'm an Anglican. <laughs> but I have just been transformed forever. The ambulance doors open. They race me into the hospital. The nurse is trying to take my blood pressure. No pulse. Try another machine. No pulse. I know this to be what's called a crash mode when you're extremely shut down. The doctors see me and said, do not close your eyes, you will die. We're going to try and save your life. They began to shove anti-serums, antitoxin, drip feed, dextrose. The the Unfortunately, my veins had completely collapsed. They couldn't get the, they got the line in, but they couldn't move it. It was rolling off their thumb and forefingers. It was hitting the valves within my veins and wouldn't move. The doctor said, I'm sorry, that's all we can do for you. They lifted me onto a bed and stood over me. I could hear them talking. I couldn't speak. I couldn't move my hands. I couldn't move anything but my eyelids. But I know now that people that are in a life support system, coma or vegetable state, can hear every syllable you say. So if you know Jesus, you get down and kneel by those people's beds and pray with them. They can hear you. You can say, join me in prayer. I know you can't move, but you can hear me. Give your heart to the Lord. Give your heart to the Lord. Sometimes it's the only time they'll listen to you when they're right on death's bed. Don't you ever underestimate the power of prayer and faith comes by hearing. So I tell you what, you've got someone in there that's dying, you get in there right now and talk to them. They can hear you. I had no strength to close my eyes. Next minute, the machines monitoring my heart flatlined. In a split second, I felt this extraordinary release. I found myself out of my body. What was so strange, my body was dead but I was still alive. Have you heard of people that have seen this phenomena, looking down upon their corpse, and yet they are alive? Jesus said one amazing thing, I am the resurrection of life. Those who believe in me, even though they die, yet they shall live. When a man dies, his spirit leaves his body and returns to God. In a split second, I'm out of the hospital, complete darkness. I'm thinking, did I die? Well, if we had a power cut in this third world hospital. So I turn around, thinking my pupils are dilated. I can't see a thing. I thought, well then don't panic, find the light switch. You ever slept at a friend's place and need to go to the loo in the middle of the night? How many have learned one valuable lesson? Foot, hand, or face the wall. So I'm looking for a wall, can't find it. I go back to my left looking for my bed. I thought, oh great, now you've lost your bed, you idiot. How did you do that? 
I was so dark you can't see your hand in front of your face. I bring my right hand towards my face and my hand goes straight through it. I thought that's impossible. Two hands, both hands through my face. Oh, there is my chest, both hands through my chest. Where on earth are my hands, both hands through each other? How many have noticed that when people die, they leave their bodies behind? It's a deep thought, isn't it? I'm thinking, how can a man feel his body's there, but when he goes to touch it, it's not? Flashback, childhood memory, soldiers from World War II coming back to New Zealand, legs amputated. My grandfather used to visit them on a regular basis because even though they had come out of the army, he treated them as his friends and comrades in battle. One old man said, son, scratch my foot. I looked down, no leg. <laughs> Quite macabre. I was taught to be seen and not heard. Remember those days? How many of you like those days to come back? So I didn't say a thing. My grandfather saw it. I was disturbed and said, what's wrong, son? I said, grandfather, the man you fought with asked me to scratch his foot, no leg. Is there something mentally wrong with him? My grandfather proceeded to say, no, son. Many soldiers lost limbs in battle. And each one of them I've talked to tell me they can feel the limbs still there. I said, grandfather, what do they call that? He said, phantom pain. You know what they were feeling? The spiritual body. You're more real inside than you are physically. <coughs> How many know you feel like you can live forever? But when you look in the mirror, <laughs> it slips sliding away, as Carly Simon said. So here I am. I am alive yet dead out of my body. Now at this point, you could have gone, and I could have in my intellect gone, oh, I'm not dead. This is taking place in my mind. Endorphin, starvation of oxygen. I'm tripping out of my skull. But how many know if neurotoxin, which attacks the neurological system when it hits you, you're not just heart dead, you're called brain dead. How many wonder about yourself some days when you look in the mirror and say the lights are on but no one's home? <laughs> how many feel like the walking dead some days anyhow? So here I am, I'm finding from my horror that I'm actually alive out of my body and yet I'm dead. I'm thinking, where the heck am I? Next minute I feel evil like I've never felt, intensely permeating the atmosphere. I feel like invisible eyes looking at me. I hear a man scream it to me from the right. He said, shut up. I said, shut up. I said, nothing. Another man to my left. You deserve to be here. I said, deserve to be where? Where am I? Another man. You're in hell. Now shut up. I'm thinking, hell? Don't believe in it. If there is a hell, where's the party? My world was everything you can't do up here, you can do down here. My mother's generation, wine, woman and song. Mine, sex and drugs and rock and roll. The next generation, Ibiza. <laughs> Mosh parties. How many of you be very hard to grab a Guinness? A Heineken, Budweiser, I don't know what you're drinking. How many know that would be hell for some men? How many know it'd be very hard to be dancing the night away? How many know it'd be very hard to have sex? Can't touch this, can you? Do you understand what I just said? I thought in my church we had Dante's Inferno. Dante, remember some of the de depictions in the art galleries? Rotting corpses, maggots trying to eat it, bones, little demons running around with 
red jumpsuits, horns, trident pitchfork, putting another one on the Barbie tonight, is it rotisserie? <laughs> Come on, you've had you these imageries? So I'm going, where's the rotting corpse? I thought, well, my rotting corpse must be back in that hospital. This isn't a physical place, it's spiritual. Why is there no fire? Hell fire and brimstone. Now you heard all this. Got little demons running around, little Lucifer fire starters. Do you realize that the Bible talks a lot about fire? God led the children of Israel by a pillar off. God spoke to Moses out of a burning bush off. Moses received the Ten Commandments on a mountain of fire, didn't he? Elijah prayed and fire came down from where? Heaven. Where did the chariots of fire come from? Hell or heaven? Heaven. When Sodom and Gomorrah were destroyed by God, fire and brimstone came from where? God is an all-consuming fire. Daniel sits up, says the Ancient of Days sits upon a throne of fire and there's a river of fire flowing beneath him. He's called a refining fire, purifying fire. The Bible says we'll be baptized in the Holy Spirit and fire. The Christians had, on the day of Pentecost, tongues of fire appear among them. We're to be ministers of fire. That means the demons hate the fire. Jesus' eyes are a flame of fire. And it says, hell will be cast into a lake of fire. Well, well, let's read that again. Rewind. Hell is going to be thrown where? If it's already a lake of fire, why would God throw it into another lake of fire? And why is it when Lucifer goes in there and his demons, they are tormented by the fire? As the Americans say, they're not happy campers, are they? Are you hearing any of what I'm saying as we're going completely off your head? Who is an all-consuming fire? How will he judge the world? With fire, the entire earth will just be destroyed and melt. Its elements will melt like wax. But God said, don't fear, I've created a new one. How many know all your work will be tested with fire? Do a word study on fire and check it out for yourself. I've given a DVD to Pastor Greg. You're welcome to copy it. You can do what you like with it. If you don't like it, use it as a frisbee. <laughs> Here I am in complete darkness. Darkness is the absence of what? Light. Fire gives off what? I'm in a kingdom of darkness. Next minute, light pierces into the darkness. How many have heard about that? How many have seen clouds with radiance comes through the clouds? How many have seen that? How many know that's almost heavenly? Well, it is, in the natural as in the supernatural. Light pierces the darkness. As the light pierced the darkness, I was then captivated in it and lifted up into the light. As I'm drawn up, I can see the darkness has a dominion where it can go no further. In the middle of that, I see an opening. Pure lights piercing forth from it. I'm being drawn towards this opening. As I enter it, I see it's a tunnel. Narrow, going from one kingdom to another. How many have read the Bible and said that Jesus said, I am the way? I am the truth. I am the life. No one comes to the Father but through me. Isn't that John 14? How many have read in Matthew 7, 13 and 14, Jesus said, small and narrow is the way that leads to the kingdom of God. Few find it. Most find what? A broad way that leads to destruction. Or as Peter Fonda said, the highway to hell. Narrow. Small. Acts 26, 18. Paul the Apostle said there's two kingdoms in the spirit world. A kingdom of darkness ruled by Lucifer and a kingdom of light ruled by Jesus. How would you be like to be travelling the right way? 
How many know many of us have been on the other way, on the path to destruction and darkness and evil? How would you like to get on the narrow way and go the right way? How many are sick of evil, sick of sin, sick of compromise, sick of all the filth you've been involved in, and you're sick to death of what you've become? I am moving at the speed of light towards the radiance. Waves of light come up. The first wave of light, comfort. The next wave of light, peace. The next wave of light, joy. Comfort. Peace. Joy. Jesus said, peace I give you, not of this world. The joy of the Lord shall be our strength. The Holy Spirit will comfort us. I tried Southern Comfort and a few other comforts in my day. Thank God you don't have to look for the worm in the bottom of the tequila. You can actually go straight for the comforter, the Holy Spirit. I turned my head to the right. I thought in the darkness I couldn't see my hand. It had gone straight through my face. I turn and don't longer see bone and flesh, but I see my hand. It's mine, full of light. I move it up, and sure enough, that is my own hand. Do you realize that when people die, what you feel here is actually you? Your inner person? Your spirit's more real than your physical body. The Bible tells us that. Flesh and blood will not inherit the kingdom of God, but in a moment we'll be transformed. We're to be sons and daughters of light because God is the Father of light. Remember Jesus said, I am the light of the world. Those who come to me shall no longer walk in darkness, but have the light of life. John 8 verse 12. I am now realizing I'm a supernatural spiritual being out of my physical form in transition back into the presence of God. When a man dies, his spirit leaves his body and returns to who? God. For what? Judgment. I come out of the tunnel of light into a kingdom of light so bright, so intense, I know I've come into the center of the universe. I'm standing in awe. I'm thinking, what is that? In the midst of the light, I hear a man speak. He said, Ian, do you wish to return? I thought, how on earth did he know my name? Return where? I turn back. Here's the tunnel dissipating back into Hades, into hell. I'm thinking, am I actually standing here? Or am I lying in a hospital bed, eyes closed, tripping out of my skull on endorphins? You, you understand the intellectual, philosophical, medical explanation for this. They call it an NDE. How do we know what that is? Near-death experience. Which means the person never died. An NDE means the person is in a comatized state, not dead. You hear me? If the person is certified in a morgue on a slab and they have been moved into that position, how many know that's not near dead? How many know it's bad science to say they're near dead? If you're dead, you're dead. If you're alive, you're alive. I'm looking back thinking, oh my gosh, I could actually be standing here. This could be reality. I then said, if I am dead, out of my physical form, I, I don't really know where I am. I wish to return. Trust me, I had no clue. I had no reference for this in Christendom. No reference from this from anyone I'd ever talked to. I'm going, I don't know where I am. He said, Ian, if you return, you must see in a new light. I said, are you the true light? Come on. Next minute, he spoke. He said, Ian, God is light. And in him, there is no darkness at all. I'm now hearing the same person who spoke to me on the beach, in the ambulance, telling me what? God is? And in him there's? 
I've just come from darkness and men called it hell. I'm looking around and I didn't believe in hell. I thought there was a religious trip put on people to scare them into some form of belief in God. Other if you can scare someone enough, maybe they'll believe in a God. Other it was a crutch for people who couldn't handle reality. I'm now standing here going, I've just been in hell. I'm standing in the kingdom of light. There's no shadow. There's no evil. I look behind me and the light is actually piercing through my transparent spiritual being of light and casting no shadow. So the Bible's true. There's no shadow or shifting in the Lord. Now I had heard Buddhists, Hindus and all the new age esoteric people say, oh, whoa, whoa, God is yin and yang. How many have seen that wonderful picture? There are almost all the witchy poo shops around with their crystals going, God is light and darkness. How many have seen these ones? They make light and darkness equal and opposite in the circle of life. In the darkness, they have a dot of light. Possible. In the light, they have a dot of darkness. Impossible. Christianity is the only one that teaches this. God is what? And in them there's? People say, oh, all religions teach the same thing. No, they don't. There is a diamond. Absolutely fundamental, totally mind-boggling differentiation between all religions. Right there, Christianity is the only one that teaches this. God is? How would you like to find you standing in front of the presence of God? How would you feel a little bit nervous? I stood there, I'm sorry, I'm mostly blowing the time. Yep, just about finished. I'm standing there and in my heart I'm going, if that's God, he can hear my thought of speech. Everything must be seen and transparent before him. Nothing's hidden. They've obviously made a dreadful mistake and brought the wrong man up. Have you seen movies about that? <laughs> Beam the wrong man up. I'm thinking I should crawl back under some rock and go back into hell where I belong. So I begin moving back from the light. As I move back, waves of radiance come towards me. I'm thinking, here it comes. You remember those the mosquitoes flying to those machines? Go, zip, zip. I'm thinking, here comes the judgment of God, the wrath of God. As the light hit me, instead of anger and wrath, I experienced unconditional love and acceptance. I'm thinking, what? Why would God love me? More love came. People say, how do you know it's love? Well, I knew what sex, lust, and passion I had a little bit of love from my mother, but her life was like a thimbleful in comparison to the love that was coming to me. Wave after wave, I said, but God, I have broken your commandments. More love. I then got more pacific. I've cursed you. I've slept around. I've taken drugs. How many have done some of the... Th oh, no, you haven't done it. <laughs> I won't go any further in case you get disgusted. So I said, well, God, I've been there and done that. I told him my worst, most degenerate sin. And then as I did, the love hit me and I burst into tears. The Lord then spoke to me and said, Ian, in that ambulance when you prayed the Lord's Prayer, I didn't just forgive some. All my sins. How many have heard of the grace of God by which we're saved? How many know that the unconditional merit of favour of a loving God who died on my cross, on that cross for my sins, that his blood would make me as white as snow. White as snow. All my sins forgiven, absolutely cleansed. Now I know when I read the Bible about the prostitute that wept on Jesus' feet, Jesus looked at her and said, your sins are forgiven. Go and sin no more. I wept. I couldn't stop crying. I thought, I tried to. How many men have tried to stop crying and it gets worse? I had Niagara Falls. I had a catharsis. I had an absolute 
waterfalls of weeping. How many have had the snot and the tears and the buckets almost down there? I was weeping like I've never wept before. You know what had happened? He had forgiven me. I now know why John Newton, who wrote Amazing Grace, a slave captain, a butcherer, literally when he sang that after he got saved, he had killed so many people that when he got saved, he said, when we've been there 10,000 years, bright, shining as what? The sun, I have no less days to sing God's praise than when it first began. He was a butcherer. I said, I'm a filthy, sick degenerate. He said, Ian, all your sins are forgiven. Pure love casts out all fear. God is love. The greatest is love. He filled me up with pure love. I stood there in absolute awe. I said, God, can I see you face to face? If I can see you, I can put a name to God. I can truly know the meaning of life. You can tell me the truth. I walked into the light. As I did, the light began to heal my broken heart. I now know the light is the person of the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit glorifies the Son. He gives off fruit, love, and peace, and joy. Taste and see the Lord's good. But I was in a place where I was being healed in my broken heart by the Spirit of God. The Bible also says that the glory that surrounds Jesus is so bright, you won't need the light of the sun, the moon, or the stars. His light will cover the heavens. As the, as the, it'll cover the entire universe. Can you imagine someone with that kind of light? I'd seen halos and icons with insipid-looking glows. I'm looking upon a person who now has the radiance of heaven filling the universe. A light a million times brighter than the sun. Its intensity and its magnitude. He is glorified. All men fall short of his glory. I don't think we have a clue how glorified he is. No idea. I walked in, the veils of light parted. How many have heard that we have access into the holy place through the blood of the Lamb? The veil's been torn. I walked in, not knowing who or what I was going to really see. As I walked through, I could see standing before me, arms outstretched, robes like monk robes, but instead of brown, radiant white, drapes, draped, full of light, made up of this cloud, reaching down to his feet. I saw him clothed, barefooted, how many have heard that he told Moses, take your sandals off because you are standing on holy ground? I didn't know what to do, but all I knew was that person in front of me was God. Because when I looked to him, I could see that his face wasn't the face of man. The light was coming out of his face. The epicenter of the universe was his face. Seven to ten times brighter than all the radiance. It was like looking into eternity. I knew if he spoke, galaxies, constellations would come out of his mouth. I stood in awe, his hair, instead of brown like we see Christ depicted on earth, he had his hair long, shoulder length, radiant white. Now, I had never read a Bible. I had no idea John the Apostle had seen exactly this in Revelations 1, 13 to 18. The Lord stood in robes. His hair, what is hidden his hair were white like wool like snow. His face shone like the sun in full strength. He said, do not be afraid. I was dead. Where? On a cross. But behold, I'm alive forevermore. I hold the keys of death and Hades. I am the Alpha and the Omega, the beginning and the end. Now I'm standing in awe looking upon Jesus, not just in human form, but with the face of God. Do you realize that Jesus was God in the beginning? He came to earth 2,000 years ago and took on the former man. But it says he rose from the dead and is glorified. I'm looking at a glorified risen Savior. Closest I've seen to it is a Taiwanese girl did this two months for me. 
Because every picture you see of Jesus, and I don't care what artist you look at, has him as the son of man. Brown hair and a face of, as if he's a Middle Eastern man. I'm looking upon the face of God, hair, shoulder length, white robes, bare feet, absolute awe. Many people say, ah, oh, because you're raised in a Christian world, this is why you saw it to be Jesus. How many have heard this wonderful intellectual dribble? I'm seeing something that Christendom doesn't show. You can look at all the icons, you can go through the Coptics, you can go through the Armenians, you can go through the Catholics, you will not find one artist that's predicted Jesus with blonde hair. Except the Bible. What blows me out, we had a reformation, but we did not have a reformation of art. We had a renaissance, but not a reformation. We need one. I stood in awe looking upon a risen saviour, I walked closer towards him, light came out of his face, purity and holiness were imparted from Jesus into me. How many have lost their purity and no longer live a holy life? How many would like to have a pure, holy life again? How would you like to start again as if you'd never sinned? The slate is white clean. That's why the Bible talks about being reborn. Totally new life. I walked closer. Jesus then stepped aside as if he wanted to show me more. Directly behind him were fields, pastures, flowers, light coming off the pasture itself, mountains and blue sky. Every part of it was untouched by man. I saw a crystal clear river. This is actually from home. <laughs> it's the only one I could find that was that clear. <laughs> and I am looking at an untouched earth. I thought, heaven is supposed to be clouds with people playing harps, fat little Baroque babies with puffed up cheeks firing Cupid arrows at me. Pearly Gates, Morgan Freeman. Hmm. I'm standing here looking upon a new earth. No reference for this either. I had no idea, Jesus said, I've created a new earth, river of life. No more sickness, no more death. I make all things new. Revelations 1, 21, 1, 1 2 and 3. This earth will pass away. I'm going, I'm home. Jesus then stepped in front of me and said, Ian, do you want to stay here or do you want to return? What would you do? Jersey or the new heavens and new earth? Perhaps you come from Guernsey. <laughs> so I stood there in absolute awe and I said, I don't want to go back. Who'd want to come back to this? Hell on earth. Apocalypse now. Terrible movie. Don't watch it. I stood there and thought to myself, who'd want to come back to this? Not me. I said, I have no one to return for, no one loves me, I have no children or none that I know of, I have nothing to go back for. He didn't move, so I looked behind me, and guess who God showed me? Mother. How many love your mum? If you don't, please forgive her and put your hand up anyhow. If she's sitting next to you, you better have your hand up. I thought, my mother, that's nice, snuggles. As my mother was behind me, I thought, if I'm dead, I step through the door, the door will close. I'll only see grass and fields. She'll never know. I said, God, I can't do that. I must go back and tell her. Everything she believes in is real. Everything she believes in is real. There is a heaven. There is a hell. There is a risen saviour. Unbelievable. He said, Ian, if you return, you must see things in a new light from an eternal, <coughs> heavenly perspective, not a temporary earthly one. When Jesus comes into your life, do you realize you no longer live for this temporal earth? You live for eternity. 
you start seeing as he sees. If he really comes into your life, you love the world. You want to see the whole world saved. I looked behind me, saw my mum, my dad, my brother, my sister, and then hundreds of thousands of people. Then the Lord said to me, I want you to go back and tell them too. I said, well, I know my family. Who the heck are these people? <laughs> I could have manned a lighthouse. I didn't like people. I liked animals. I liked waterfalls. I liked solitude. I could have lived on a desert island. You hear me? God said, I love them. I want all of them to come to know me. Most will not step foot inside a church any longer to hear my name. Do you realize it's a miracle for some of you to be in church today? But you didn't think this was a church. You thought this was a hotel. <laughs> Do you realize you can meet God anywhere? I've just met him in an ambulance. I don't know, I stand before eternity and he's saying, Ian, do you want to go back for these people? I'm thinking, nope, <laughs> I'll go back for my mother. Thank God he changed my heart. My temptation when I had this experience and came back was to just share with my own family because I thought people would think I'm mad. Why should I share my heart to complete strangers? But how will they hear unless someone tells them? And I said, Lord, here I am. Send me. Send me. I said, how do I go back down the tunnel into hell and back into my body? He said, tilt your head, open your eyes and see. I was instantly back in my body. Doctors and nurses freaking out as the corpse comes back to life. They're telling me I'll be near 15 to 20 minutes. I'm thinking, God, if that's that long, I need another miracle. I may never walk again. Please heal me. Healing power, miraculous healing power. How many know that Jesus can do miracles? I felt his power go through my dead body and within three or four hours I had all mobility. The last thing back was the nervous system in my lower trunk. Death had come in through my feet. The last thing that was restored was my feet where I felt pain for the first time. I walked out of the hospital completely healed. The, the doctors freaked out. My, my fisherman friend thought I was a ghost. Terrified. They knew I could not survive. They saw the marks on my arm and ran in fear. I flew back to New Zealand. My mum and dad were at the airport. I said, God, what's happened to me? He said, you are a reborn Christian. I said, I've never heard of the term. Do you have to die and come back to life? He said, no, you were dead in your sins. But when you pray the Lord's Prayer from your heart, that's where you were born again. You must be what? Born again. I said, what next? He said, read a Bible. I said, I don't have one. He said, your dad's got one. And within six weeks, I read the entire Bible. My mother walked in watching me read, burst into tears when I told her my story. She told me how she'd been praying. I was the first prodigal son home. I was the black sheep. I was the least likely. I was the worst one of the kids. And yet I was the most... <laughs> had the most intelligence supposedly, had the degree, and yet my mother watched her son suddenly humble himself and change everything. Everything changed. Everything changed. A number of years later, I met my dear wife, who'd been a Christian since a child. I told her all my sins. I said, you better know now, honey, otherwise you won't want to marry me. <laughs> she said, I trust you more than most Christian men in the church, at least you're honest. <laughs> The 
the Lord began to meet me, catch me back up into heaven. I said, God, how does this work? He said, the book of Revelations, John was not dead when I took him into heaven. He said, don't wait until you die to come back. We have access into the throne room, into the manifest presence of God. I've spent 33 years being brought back into the manifest presence of God, seeing parts of the new heavens, the new earth, the throne room. I tell you what, we have access into the Holy of Holies. He will come to earth, Christ in us. He will pour out his spirit upon us, but he also has the ability to open the heavens and like John in the spirit, take you up and give you revelation. One of the greatest things the church needs is an encounter with Jesus in his glorified form. Most people see him as the son of man in the gospels. Many traditional Christians only see him as a dead savior on the cross, but thank God we don't have to meet with an historical one or a dead one. We meet with a risen glorified one. who has arms of love and can heal the most broken heart. That's my testimony. He is coming back on a white horse to judge the world. Unfortunately, this time he's coming back to judge all of mankind. Time is running out. He wishes that none would perish. I'm sure family members have brought their friends today, work colleagues, and their prayer is that they would find Jesus. But they know they can't do the prayer. That has to come from you. My mum would love to have repented for me, but she couldn't. Only Jesus could hear my prayer. And in the ambulance, I repented. I surrendered all. And he came in. The lover of my soul. The saviour. The king of kings and lord of lords. His arms are out open wide to sinners. Do you want to repent? Do you want to come out of the filth and evil you're in? Do you want to come back to Christ and find him as your Lord and Saviour? If you do, I'd like you to bow your head. I'd like to lead you in a prayer of salvation. The key parts of that prayer are found in the Lord's Prayer. Lord, forgive me my sins. I forgive others who have sinned against me, and I surrender my life to the Lordship of Christ. If you can join me in prayer, and everyone can join me if they want to, but the key is from your heart and pray out loud. Because if you believe in your heart and confess with your mouth that Jesus Christ is Lord, you shall be saved. So please, if you can, pray this, this prayer, Lord Jesus Christ. I ask you to forgive me of all my sins. I believe you died on the cross for me. That your precious blood can wash away all my sins. Jesus, cleanse me. Set me free. Forgive me of all my sins and evil. I humble myself. I surrender my life to you. And as you forgive me, I forgive those who have sinned against me. I forgive them in Jesus' name. And Lord, I receive you to be my personal Lord, to be my personal Saviour. Take my life and make something beautiful out of it. Fill me with your love. Fill me with your Holy Spirit and help me to take up my cross and follow you all the days of my life. I pray this sincerely from my heart. In Jesus' precious name. Amen. Amen. Can we all stand?
1982, my girlfriend who had got saved while I was away took me to church. My churches that I was used to were stained glass windows. The church she brought me to was a supermarket that had been converted into a church. <laughs> Anyhow, that was a bit of a stumbling block for me. But I went into this church and I stood in the back. The minister at the end of the meeting said, those who have given their hearts to the Lord, those who need to come back to Christ, come and kneel down and make public confession of faith. I thank God for that minister, because something broke in my heart that day. It was called the fear of man. Every meeting I try and do, wherever I travel, I try and give opportunity for people who are truly coming back to Jesus, either for the first time or recommitment to their faith. You understand that? Have lost their way? I give opportunity that they can come and pray and receive prayer. The Bible says, every knee shall bow and every tongue confess. So as the musicians sing, I'm going to invite you, no matter where you're at, no matter how close or how far you may be from God, I'm going to give you an opportunity to come and kneel with me. Is that okay? If you're afraid to come by yourself, come with a friend. Maybe a Christian friend will ask you to come with them. But I'd like you to come and just kneel down as we sing a song of adoration and worship towards Jesus. I'm going to invite you to come and kneel. Every knee shall bow. Every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord. Thanks for listening. Please visit leadinglightsnetwork.com for more resources and subscribe to our podcast on iTunes. Please consider supporting this ministry financially by making a donation on the giving page of leadinglightsnetwork.com or lighthousejersey.com.